You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men, women, children, old people, whoever's listening. We welcome you here. (laughs) Uh, How's everybody been? Okay, I'm, I'm Justin. How are you, listeners? How, how have you been? We haven't heard from you. No, that's not true. We hear from you all the time. I'm also here with my good buddy, co-host, handsome gentleman, Balake Courtright. How are you doing, brother? You know, it's been a long day. Uh, there was some excitement. Uh, my water heater broke, and so that had to get replaced. So yeah, it's been a it's been an adventurous couple of days, but yeah. we're Is here. We're good. You back up and running? Supposedly. I just turned on the hot water, and uh, I just heard air pumping through the pipes so we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna try that again after this episode uh but we're also joined by a guest he is one of the founders the co-hosts of the reformed brotherhood podcast and the curator of the society of reformed podcasters a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reformed perspective insert uh epic background music include it i'm just kidding i won't read the roll call uh so our guest tonight is Tony Arsenal of Reform Brotherhood, and it's good good to have you with us tonight, Tony. Thanks for making some time and uh, hanging out, even though it was a little later start time than we intended. It's all good. It's all good. I've been sitting here looking at this scotch on my desk, waiting, <laughs> salivating the entire <laughs> evening here. So I'm I'm glad we can get started. I'm looking forward to it. Well, amen. All right, Justin, and what is in our glass tonight? Uh, I'm excited. This is Glenfiddich Fire in Cane. I haven't had a scotch in a while that's um, uh, of this variety. I'm pretty excited. Mm. Uh, it's bottled at 43% ABV or 86 proof, so it's a little bit lower on the proof. Uh, you know, we've been we've been sipping some high proof stuff a lot. So, uh, but it uh, it looks good. I mean, um, uh, it's one that I haven't had. Have you had this yet, Blake? I had it briefly with uh, my brother Brad Courtright, who. Uh, provided the sample for us and thanks he also, Brad. yeah and he actually recorded with us the last time we talked about this topic uh, back in episode 17 which was 41 years 41 ago episodes ago yeah <laughs> that too um felt like it and tony you i uh, you had this one but where did you get it from i remember you were sharing that in the society reform podcast chat there's no special fun uh story i bought it at the liquor store the New Hampshire State Liquor Store. All so right. uh, nice. I was yeah. uh, the first time I ever drank scotch. I think I sent you guys a photo and I was totally overwhelmed. Yeah. And uh, the second or third time I think I went in there, I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Yeah. So I picked up a bottle and yeah, Jesse Here and I uh, sampled it over midwinter. No reason while he was visiting New Hampshire, which is great. So I, I've had this before, but I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. Well, what uh, what do you guys smell? Anything anything particular stand out out of the gate here with this one? Well, there is some peat notes, but they're they're relatively soft, like uh, like uh, like you're catching glimpses of smoke far away from a campfire. There's uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I smell scotch, so I, I'm still working on refining my palate. So I can tell the difference between two scotches, but I couldn't tell you usually what that difference is. But um, yeah, I, I definitely smell a little bit of that smokiness. Yeah. Uh, I know that you you taste that a little bit more than you smell it uh, yeah. when you when it hits your tongue. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, there's also a, a little bit of a sweetness too. I can't quite place what it is. Yeah, it's like uh, zesty green apples. Yeah. There's a little bit of some, some molasses toffee, or toffee or something. Yeah. yeah. Some yeah. spice. You know, it's, it's like the different, this is going to go horribly awry. It's like the difference between someone who says, <laughs> Hey, who says, uh, you know, no, I'm, I'm neither a Calvinist or Arminian. And then you ask them for their view and they describe a Arminian soteriology of foreknowledge. And you're like, well, that's Arminianism. Well, no, that's not what I, and then on the flip side, you get far down the weeds and someone says, sorry, are you infralapsarianism, uh, infralapsarian or sap- superlapsarian? I can't talk. I haven't even had any whiskey yet. This is awesome. <laughs> We're on a roll. Yeah, this is uh, be butter. Yeah. 
this is a pleasant smell. I'm excited. It's different for for uh, Glenfiddich. I think the only one we've tasted from them so far is the 12 year, which was yeah, for sure, for which sure. was fine. It was unimpressive to me. But uh, see, that was the first scotch I ever had. So my I'm, I'm a little hurt that you said that because I thought uh-oh. it was really good, <laughs> you know, but it was a good, all... it was a good introductory scotch. I think that's actually why I think it was Nick Weisel from the Reformed Pilgrims mm. recommended it because he said it was yeah. it was kind of like uh, it's like a good Sam Adams Boston lager. Like there's nothing really special about it, but it, it's a good representative of like the general idea. Yeah. And it was it was definitely approachable when I when I had this before, I got the same impression that this was kind of a good intro to like peated scotches. This is I think this is the only peated scotch I've had. So uh, it didn't kick me in the face too hard, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but you definitely can tell the difference between this and a uh, something that's not peated because you do you do get that smokiness. Yeah, my first peated scotch was with Blake and it was uh, Lagavulin. Sixteen, <laughs> yes, it was fun. It hit me like a ton of bricks, but it yeah, was the- so good. The Glenfiddich as an intro to Scotch is like uh, uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic as an intro to uh, Calvinism. It's like you you get there, but there's just so many better there's so many better choices. But I a thought lot of you were going to say that it was that Wayne Grudem it was like an intro to uh, to Arianism. Oh well, there is that too. And on yeah. that note, let's not be uh, neo Arians. Let's read better sources and let's sip some Scotch together. Cheers. it's good stuff Mm, there's like oak notes um toffee but definitely some green fruit i also get a malt the malt comes through pretty well maybe Um, like like um cereal like like almost like a sweet baked cinnamon apple a green apple I wish I could come up with something clever and amazing to say, but it's just, it's just good. I feel like it's a good middle of the road. It's not anything super special, but it's, it's enough of a difference from like just a plain kind of run of the mill, like the 12, uh, yeah. that you notice it. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy this scotch. One thing I found, um, I actually tried this when I was drinking it over Christmas time. Uh, I just put an ice cube in it cause it was evening. It was really warm. So I just wanted it to be chilled a little bit. And the sweetness, uh, you know, they call it fire and cane because it's kind of got these two aspects. The sweetness of it comes out a lot more when it's cold or if you add a little, you know, a tiny bit of water. Or a, mm. Like, I think I had one ice cube in it and it really brings the sweetness out less, uh, more than the the smokiness. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. The 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 bottling note says, um, uh, let the great experiment continue. Glenfiddich has added a new expression to its experimental series. So it's an experimental scotch. Uh, unveiling Fire and Cane mid-2018, Master Malt Brian Kinsman has given some of the distillery's peated single malt a three-month finishing period in rum casks. Um, that makes sense. Uh, it, it has def- definitely has some rum yeah. quality. Uh, but not just any old rum casks. Mm. He selected the rum casks from a variety of South American countries to finish the whiskey, which ought to play nicely with the burly peat notes at its core. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. I'm enjoying yeah. sipping this. It's nice to be able to taste and smell. Uh, one of my friends who also got COVID-19 around the same time that I did uh, still has not recovered their sense of taste and smell, which is... Yeah, they're saying some miserable. people might might not get it back. Yeah, they. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some of this, but they actually think some of what is happening with your sense of taste is actually that the the blood vessels in your brain start to leak they start to lose their um their viscosity and they they start to leak and it's it's very similar in some ways to a person who has like damage to their brain due to a stroke because of the way that the the blood vessels react so it's kind of a scary i mean it's kind of a scary disease we we mm. learn more about it all the time yeah yeah well on that note let's open up in some prayer before we get into our topic uh Tonight in the Valley of Vision, we have the prayer kept by God, which is on page 106 for those of you reading along at home. All right, let us pray. Jehovah God, thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things, I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. 
Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fear. Allure me into thy presence. Help me to bewail and confess my sins. When I review my past guilt and am conscious of my present unworthiness, I tremble to come to thee. I whose foundation is in the dust, I who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthy of eternal death. But my recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. I can destroy but cannot save myself. Yet thou hast laid help on one that is mighty. For there is mercy with thee and exceeding riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world, bear up heart and mind in loss of comforts, enliven in me, enliven me in the valley of death, work in me the image of the heavenly, and give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality, such as angels and departed saints know. Amen. 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 Well, this is an exciting episode mm-hmm. in some ways, I suppose. Uh, didn't think we'd ever be recording a part two to this topic, but um, <laughs> alas, here we are. Uh, we are going to be talking again uh, about COVID-19 in the church. Uh, it's been, as you well all know, uh, an exciting and interesting um, year <laughs> uh, as we as we approach. I mean, it's it's been gosh over a year now um since yeah. uh, i remember sitting at work watching uh watching the maps you know as as this thing spread across the the globe and uh yeah it's it's been interesting and so uh i think it's or we think it's worth uh, revisiting um in this more long term and, and sort of changed world that we live in now as compared to a year ago um yeah what what we should do how do we respond what do we think about uh, this particular uh, quote unquote pandemic and uh, and things that have unfolded. Well, and I, also to your point there, when we recorded that episode with my brother who provided the, the whiskey sample for us, that was released on March 24th of 2020. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's been a while. And also I do want to, as is our custom preface by saying none of us are offering medical legal, or uh, for that matter, <laughs> theological advice. We're just three friends sitting around <laughs> sipping whiskey and, and and frankly, just talking about these things, we've had some of these conversations in our um, in our Society of Reform podcast group chat. Sometimes things get a bit heated, and and understandably so, because there's a lot uh, at stake here in in many ways. And so, mm-hmm. um, I guess just to start it out, like what as the church, what are things that you guys have witnessed in your congregations? that you know ways that things have changed in the last year i suppose like i know that's a big question but i guess to the present day how are things different uh in your church service week to week this month of of february than they were last february for example sure yeah i mean that's a that's a big question and i think one of the things that we're learning as we get through this thing, right. As we're, you know, we're, we're coming up on a full year. Um, you know, I work, I work in a, a hospital and I remember getting the email. Uh, I was a salaried employee at the time. And I remember getting the email on a, a Sunday evening telling us that there was going to be a press release in the morning that the first COVID patient had or the first COVID positive person had showed up at our hospital. And um, I remember thinking, man, everything's going to change now. And, you know, I texted my pastor and I said, you know, there's a chance I've been exposed because this was actually an employee of the hospital. So and I live in the church building. So I said, so we, we need to have a plan and we need to have a plan now about mm-hmm. what do we do? Because if I get quarantined, people can't even come into the church building because it's it's the same building that I live in. And so I think what we're learning, though, is that this is such a unique experience that really, although it's an experience that everyone across the globe in a lot of ways is experiencing together. It's Mm -hmm. also an experience that has a very different application on the ground in each kind of area. 
So for example, my church, uh, it's a very small church. Um, most people would, you know, would have a small group or a Bible study that's larger than the entire membership of my church. We have 12 members and one regular attender who's not on the membership role. Mm-hmm. And, um, almost all of us are over the age of uh, 60. All of us are in a high risk category in some way or another. And so we, for example, uh, have decided to continue with uh, entirely virtual uh, gatherings uh, with the full knowledge and, and statement that that does not replace public worship. Uh, we recognize that we have in uh, very real terms suspended the public worship uh, at our congregation for the, the time being. Um, even though we think there's value in in gathering and and singing worship songs and and hearing a teaching from the Bible, we're not claiming that this is some sort of replacement for public worship. Um, but then you have other places uh, where the pandemic has been relatively light, where it is safe uh, or relatively safe for people to meet, um, or congregations that are predominantly composed of younger people who aren't in high risk categories. And so I think one of the things that, um, and maybe I'm a little guilty of this, is treating every location like it's the same and sort mm-hmm. of trying to apply or sort of recommend or suggest or enforce kind of what might be prudential in my area and saying like that, that's prudential and wise across all areas, um, which just, I think just isn't the case. Um, I think that everywhere, every location, every, every local congregation um, has an obligation to preserve and protect life uh, and to do that, especially among the congregation, you know, right. Do, do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, right? It's, it's, we, we are called to serve most acutely to the people who are in our immediate circles. And so for a local congregation, that's, that's the members of your local mm-hmm. church. But what that looks like in each individual area may be very different. And I think that's something that I've, I've learned and I'm, I'm becoming more and more convicted of is that, although I think there's some general principles that, you know, as Christians, we can all follow. And there's some things that, frankly, I think some Christians have just not taken seriously um, Mm -hmm. about uh, some things. I think we all need to be a little bit more understanding that the experience in, you know, I live in rural New Hampshire, right? And our governor has basically said, yeah, I mean, we're going to do some public safety things, but for the most part, you you guys are adults. So so deal with it and, and make good decisions. Um, but then you have places like California where it's, it's a virtual lockdown and it's not, it's not too much to say that it, it looks a little bit more like, uh, like communist China in some parts of California than it does yeah. in, uh, than it does other parts of the United States or even, even Europe. So yeah. I think that our experiences across the nation have been very different. Um, and I think that's something we could all maybe learn a little bit from. Yeah. We, we've kind of moved to sort of a hybrid option because we want to consider, we're we're almost leaving it up to the individual believer to say what they feel comfortable with and what their conscience is allowing them uh, to do. We've uh, decided to not only stream it live uh, to our church congregation Facebook group uh, that we have, but also uh, to the radio uh, so that there's folks who don't have social media in our congregation that can still get the sermon um, that are either in homes where they um, you know can't get out or they won't be allowed out and back in and things like that. Um, because of disability and things like that. So we, we've wanted to, to give the option, you know, it's not been terribly prevalent in our area. Uh, for the most part, cases have been low numbers. We had a spike for a while, uh, but it went back down. Uh, we did close early on, um, before anything was known about the virus and we uh, basically just live streamed. It was essentially my, my dad, who's my pastor uh, myself would go over and we'd stream it to the church and then uh, as time went on, we added a few people and then the worship band started coming, um, as we learned more. And now we're basically allowing, um, we're not at full capacity. We have, you know, every other row marked off and, you know, we allow, uh, families to sit in a row and things like that. And we're still, folks are, are kind of up to their own discretion. If they want to wear masks, for the most part, people wear them when they walk in, uh, and take them off when they sit down. We are taking temperatures when people walk in, make sure nobody's coming in with a fever uh, things like that. So, you know, we're we're kind of we we want to be compliant to what our our uh, authority has has uh, put over us. Um, for now, we're not. It's nothing. Um, 
regardless of how you might feel about it, you know, uh, as far as whether or not they can or they should be enforcing those types of things. Um, I, I don't think it's an unprudent thing to do. Um, I think it's, yeah, uh, especially in a congregation that has a mix of both old and young, uh, it's not unwise to just to make sure. I mean, in, in any case, right, uh, even if during flu season, some of these things might not be a bad idea anyway, because um, people die of the flu, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we've... I, I, I love what you're, I love your point that it shouldn't be one thing across the board, right? Because every area is different. Every church is different. Um, demographics are different. Those things matter. Those things make a difference as far as uh, how, and that's, I guess, part of the reason why pastors and churches have uh, elders and uh, people in authority to decide what's best for their own congregation. Sure. And in my church, we're in, uh, upstate new york right in the capital region so you've got three major cities right there and uh, for upstate new york and um i like that it's called upstate even though i'm way more upstate than you <laughs> central bro anyways uh, that's another debate for another another episode but uh yeah my church we've been they've been re- requiring the masks for entry partly as well because of the counties um and the regulations there and, and my pastor is um has been faithful in that they've been you know putting the separation of the pews so every other pew um and then alternating that on different sides of the church so there's a good good amount of physical separation available um people wearing masks and then the ushers releasing people from the back row kind of step by step so all those kinds of things have been really good and i think in one sense especially after i got it um i was grateful for a lot of that stuff uh and then very grateful that my church would would live stream um the sermons, although, and this was kind of uh, something I wanted to touch on tonight. Like I certainly, I felt that difference. Like, and obviously, I, you know, we're all reformed people. We're not interested in, you know, our feelings dictating things, but I felt the difference and, and the loss of sitting at home on my couch, listening to a really good sermon, as opposed to being in the assembly gathered together on the Lord's day, worshiping together corporately. Um, there's something distinct about that command. And I think we're, we're hitting something here that I'm seeing more and more people talk about, which is encouraging to me that we we need both the balance of recognizing God's command for his people to gather, but also the prudence of taking measures to preserve life and to honor, uh, honor the King and honor our magistrates and the people that God has placed in authority over us and understanding that balance and, uh, I echo what you both said that that's going to largely be a congregation by congregation situation. And I'm sure in, in, you know, Presbyterian type, uh, denominations, you might have some wisdom from your local presbytery, but still, I think those decisions are falling ultimately to uh, the elders of the individual congregations of knowing their congregation and knowing what's best for them, uh, or praying, praying through that to understand. Cause, um, it's an interesting time. It's, it's, new for all of us but of course in the history of the world and in the history of the church uh sicknesses that close down large portions of society for extended periods of time are no no foreign thing to the history of the church so in in the sense of the church catholic universal through all time this isn't anything this isn't unprecedented but in our time it's totally new experience and uh Mm -hmm. shell shock i think yeah you know one of the things that i think um as i've reflected through this I mentioned, you know, the, the governor of New Hampshire, which I think he's done a, a tremendous job, to be honest with you. Um, one of the things that I, I have lamented a little bit, I think, is um, a lack of nuance thinking on some of this stuff. Right. Because there's there's all sorts of layers that, that go on as we reflect on and as we pray through this. And there's a big difference between the government saying churches may not meet and the government saying no group over a certain size may meet. And so that was one of the things, you know, our first, we've had kind of two, two periods where we had to close down our doors. And in the first instance, it was the the government stated no, no regularly scheduled meeting larger than 10 may happen. And this was across the board. This, this, any planned meeting uh, with that, it was, 
intended to have a size larger than 10 needed to be canceled. And so that involved our church service, unless we were going to make a decision where we said, all right, we're going to, we're going to kind of ration out the Lord's day to different saints on different, which we, we could have done. I suppose we could have said, well, in order for us to keep meeting, we're going to say these 10 people on this Sunday and, and these 10 people on another Sunday, we, we chose not to do that. Um, but then the second round, it was actually a more difficult decision for us because now the government was no longer making that statement. They they weren't saying anything for us about, about sizes or numbers. And so we had to exercise our own prudence. And one of the things that I think um, really opened up my eyes to that is that as Christian thinkers and Christian uh, worshipers, right, we have to recognize that we exist in kind of these two registers, right? right? We're, we're, we're in the world. We're citizens uh, in a certain sense of, of the, the city of God, you know, to use Augustine's rubric. And then we are our ultimate citizens of the city of, uh, of God, sorry, city of man, city of God. And, and that involves us having to think on two different levels and think about two different mm. sort of sets of realities that we have to, we have to do our best to marry together. And so I think that, that we would all, as as people looking at this, do a, a little bit better to step back and think through some of this stuff. Because I, what I saw very early on, um, you know, we're talking we're talking March of last year, where, where this was all still so new. And I have to be honest with you, you know, I mentioned that email I got. I was scared to go into the hospital the, the next morning. Mm. Um, I knew there was one person, but but we all sort of thought. This was going to be the thing where like you walk past someone in the hall who has it and you're going to get it. And we've, we've learned that that, especially, especially with masking, but even without masking, like that's not really how this thing moves around. You you have to have pretty direct contact with somebody in order to get it. Not always. You can, you can pass by someone in the grocery store who coughs at the wrong time and get it. So you're not, it's not like, oh, if I just don't stand by someone for too long, but for the most part, you have to have pretty sustained contact with somebody, but that's not what we thought. And mm-hmm. so w- what happened, I think, is you had the people who were so scared and so paranoid that everything shut down. And then you had the people who reacted to that. And all of a sudden, there was no more talking about whether or not the government is applying generally applicable standards versus illegal specific standards to the church. It was just the government can't tell us what to do at all. And and that's not really I mean, that's not something that reformed Christians anywhere and all ever have ever affirmed. Um, you know, all of the reform confessions indicate that there is this relationship between the church and the state and the state has uh, a certain kind of authority over Christians as citizens of the city of man that would extend to certain things about how the church operates. So, for example, the church is not allowed to just go, well, we're going to ignore fire code, right? You're not allowed. There's certain standards of uh, decency that the, the state requires as far as you can't walk around naked all the time. Well, in a public building, if everybody decided to walk around naked, the the, the government has a reason and a, a lawful reason to come in and say, no, this is a public building. You can't just do that. <laughs> um, you know, like some churches that have food services, they're required to follow health codes and things like that. So we, we recognize in certain areas that the state has a uh, the, the Westminster Confession kind of says like a, a pater- almost like a paternal governance over the church that in, in, mm. in that they're responsible sort of the way a father is of protecting and preserving their children in order to foster, foster the the growth of the church. Um, that's not something that I've seen a lot of reflection on. It was either we're going to do exactly what the church, uh, the state says, no questions, or we're not going to do what the state says because we don't have to. There wasn't a lot of that. And what I'm, I've been encouraged is as the pandemic has gone on, most Christian groups have spent time reflecting on all right, what is this relationship we have with the state? What is, you know, what what constitutes gathered worship? Even the churches that I think have made the wrong decision and said Zoom constitutes gathered worship, they've had to reflect on mm-hmm. what that means. So I think there's I really think and this isn't just because I love Heidelberg question one and all things are subservient to my salvation. Mm-hmm. I really do think that the church is going to come out of this. And I mean, like the church, the, the, the invisible church is going to come out of this stronger because Christians who have wrestled through this are going to be able to look at this situation and then apply some of the lessons we've learned to other situations. What happens Mm -hmm. next year? You know, let's, let's say that God blesses the world 
and coronavirus goes away. These, you know, these these vaccinations are super successful and we get herd immunity and they, it goes the way of polio. Well, what happens next year when we still have the flu going on and there's still there's still other elderly people in our congregation that are susceptible to that, that could die very easily if they get it. How are mm-hmm. we going to react to that? How are we going to respond to that? Some churches may choose to say, well, during flu season, we're, we're going to wear masks when we come to church because that's how we love our neighbors. Because in this context, our neighbors are particularly susceptible to the flu. Other congregations are going to make different choices. And I think that's okay. I just don't think we've reflected on it as much as we have over the last year, which is, is I think a good thing coming out of this. I think another thing that I've noticed uh, over the last year in particular um, that I think is kind of spun as, as sort of like a a side separate issue, but I think has, has come out as a result of not just coronavirus, but the election and everything else is that there appears to be a very um, obvious or a very distinct separation of the, of the wheat and the chaff between the church and uh, the, the true, the true church, the Catholic church and a universal church and uh, everybody else. Um, you know, I, I've seen more uh, distancing between mm-hmm. uh, evangelies and and true biblical Christians, yeah. um, and and I think that's been in many ways very good and very helpful. Um, you know, I, I think it's driving people to reconsider what they believe and why they believe it, um, which is if, of course that's I think a good thing. Uh, you know, we recognize historically God doesn't just let his people continue to sin without, um, mm. you know, caring for them. And in many ways, caring for us involves uh, discipline and drawing us back to him uh, through many different means. Well, also, I think to what you're saying as well, this just the thinking about death, especially in the Western American church, like sure. we don't really think about death. And I don't remember where I heard this, it was somebody's podcast. So forgive me, but it was, uh, the hosts were talking about death and caskets and like the way that we talk about death, um, in the church and how we get into like, like we almost start to minimize it as like, we minimize the curse of death in many ways in an attempt in a well-meaning attempt, I think to, to comfort believers. And yet we forget that death is death in this life. There is a sting and there is a, there is a, an unnatural miss to it i was having this conversation mm-hmm. with a friend of mine who's a an agnostic and and very into stoicism and he said well what do you mean there's an unnaturalness to death like everybody dies which was great because i'm like well yeah and, and of course as a stoic you're going to be very much like i'm going to look death in the face and memento mori remember i'm mortal and i'm gonna which is you know stolen elsewhere but i'm gonna remember this and live my life in that way and so of course of course i'm mortal well right but there is something i think in inherent within us because of our creation that we long for eden like we recognize the unnaturalness of death um and what a great hope too right that our 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 life isn't just an extended version of an eternal Mm -hmm. life of this life we don't have eternal life with sickness and suffering and tears and sorrow where we get coronavirus and we potentially lose our sense of taste and smell for the rest of our eternal life like we don't have to worry about that because our hope is uh, after this life and in uh, a greater restored um, world. Like God's God's perfection, God's presence uh, and wholeness. And so, for me personally, that's been a huge blessing in the midst of all of this: is seeing death more frequently and being acquainted with the concept of death and mortality in a way that at least in in my experience of life, is not a common thing or hadn't been. So I think in some ways that's been a blessing in disguise amidst the sorrow uh, that has been experienced from that because we remember that. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too, the, the other sort of small blessings in disguise uh, throughout this year, you know, I, I, was, I was furloughed for several months. I was home. Um, I... That was great. I loved spending every single day, morning and evening with my kid, my son, you know, we spent so much time together and, um, it was just a blessing, you know, being able to enjoy that time with him, despite, uh, the concerns of the world and everything that was going on around us. (laughs) Speaking of the concerns of the world, (laughs) fire station across the street here. Um, it's been really good to see, um, to value those things more 
recognizing how 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 much you miss when you're gone laboring and, and work which yeah, again you is know, another good thing <laughs> it's interesting you bring up this concept of sort of confronting death I, I think uh, anyone who knows me or has been with the Reformed Brotherhood for uh, more than one year recognizes that my favorite holiday on the church calendar is uh, Scorched Earth Wednesday because uh, I just go on like a bombing raid every single year when it gets to gets to Ash Wednesday and Lent. But one thing, you know, I, I, I kind of came to faith. I never really was a Lutheran, but I came to faith in a Lutheran church. And so one of the things that I actually really was obsessed with was Ash Wednesday because I thought it was this amazing sacramental moment, which actually as a reformed Christian tells you just how wrong it is, is that it becomes this sacramental moment. But one thing that I think Mm -hmm. they get really right traditions who celebrate Ash Wednesday is, you know, they, they put the ash on your head and they say, remember you are dust. Remember Mm -hmm. that you will return to ash. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we really lose sight of as, as Christians, you know, Carl Truman uh, he's one of my favorite historians. I, I'm only a nerd like me has a favorite historian, but he gets asked and he, I've heard him say this in multiple different courses and lectures that I've listened to. He gets asked like, well, what's your favorite, what, what historical period would you love to live in? And he always says like, like, like this one, the one where we have antibiotics and like flush toilets because, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, 150 years ago when we still thought that, uh, you got sick because of, uh, you know, like fairies and gases, and we didn't know anything about germs, um, you know, like a scratch could end up killing you. And, and so death was this real prevalent thing that was just in your face all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I live in New England. You guys live in New York, which is almost New England. It's almost as good. And um, both regions have this prominence of churches with graveyards in the front of them. Mm-hmm. And a yeah. lot of times people wonder, like, what's that about? And, and what it was is that Purit- Puritans especially, but it extended mm-hmm. to other forms of American Christianity they built their churches with the graveyards in the front. So you had to walk through them. And so it served this dual purpose of, of people walking to the church, remembered their, that they were mortal. They remembered they were coming here because here is where the words of life are. And then the pastor, as he was preaching, looked out the front door and saw the graveyard, remembered, hmm. this is what I'm preaching for is because hmm. these people need to know that this is what's coming for them. And if they're not prepared, then it's not just the grave that's waiting for them. It's eternal death. Mm. And, and, you know, it's funny because I, I used to work for the Connecticut health exchange. Um, I had a temporary job as a regional enrollment manager for Obamacare, which was like, as a conservative, it was like the weirdest thing ever, <laughs> but I actually got to have a lot of really interesting conversations and the, the people that I worked with were surprisingly open to religious conversations and believe it or not, people weren't signing up for Obamacare that year. And so we had a lot of downtime where we were just sitting around talking and one of the conversations I remember that I think impacted the people the most, we were talking about death and cremation. And I said, you know, I don't want to be cremated. And they said, why? And, you know, it's so much cheaper. It's so much easier. It's better for the All these reasons. And I said, well, because my body in the casket is the last time I get to preach the gospel on this earth until the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, everyone looks at a dead body and knows it's not natural, knows that that's mm-hmm. not the way it's supposed to be. And I said, the real tragedy of death is the unnaturalness of the spirit Mm. being separated from the body. Mm. And the glory of the resurrection is that reuniting of those two things. And I think we're in this cultural moment now where talking about death in the Western world is not all that unusual. I mean, (laughs) it's morbid, but we're getting, we're getting death updates every day, right? We're we're hearing every day. There's 4,000 people yesterday, whatever it might be. There's a, there's a new nine 11 every day. I mean, you guys are, are hearing the same stats I am. It's it's this weird cultural moment where we're able to actually talk about death and people recognize this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The fact that this many people are dying every day is not it's not good. And that's a as a presuppositionalist, you know, talk about Van Til and Bonson and all these people. But as a presuppositionalist, that is the entry point. Right. That's that's the image of God crying out in that person Mm -hmm. saying you know, that, that's Romans one stuff. Jesse and I have this joke about, you know, adventures in Romans one. Well, every day the news report is an adventures in Roman one, because every day the reality of this pandemic is crying out that something's not right. And yeah. people are recognizing it. So if we're, if we are able to seize that moment, seize this cultural moment where things are different and, and mm. say, yeah, you know what? It's not, but guess what? I know a guy who died and, and death couldn't hold him. 
that that's a that's a really powerful apologetic that I you know this isn't unprecedented in the church but we're not, we're I mean day of Lente, God willing we're never going to face it again I really hope we're never going to face yeah. it again but this is an opportunity we're never going to have again as well mm-hmm. when I think it's cool to uh, in my church we do have the the gravestones in the front and it's a long walk through the park you know past the parking lot on one side and the grave the graveyard on the other um the church actually was founded in 1760 and so it's been around for a long time i think the building's obviously been changed but um that just that continuity of yep these people have died and then even looking uh when my girlfriend was visiting she had looked at one of the gravestones and noticed something about it that was that was funky that i had never you know noticed. and so you're sitting there thinking about why did these people why why did they have this listed on their gravestone and uh, you know, or this, this person was only 14 years old when they died. And just like you, to your point, we're thinking about it. We're considering these things in a way that is very foreign to Western American yeah. minds because mm-hmm. so often we, we have this invincibility, which I think so often is the province of youth, but we're realizing now, like there are people in their seventies and eighties who don't, who were terrified to yeah. leave their homes because of COVID-19 and because of mortality even though they're 70 or 80 years old they're they're terrified because of this uh shocking uh, alertness to that and i i think of the um well actually my my pastor was sharing this about his younger son uh they were listening to some economist talk about the the whole reddit game stop thing that i'm not going to comment on but uh the they had this investor on who was like a but he's like, I'm also a pastor. And he was sharing about all that, you know, how he threw all this money into this thing. And his, you know, my pastor's son goes, and they had just been reading about the, the, the man who built the, tore down his, his old barns and put all his wealth into build new barns. And the pastor's son says, well, isn't, isn't that what this guy on TV who says he's a Christian pastor, isn't that what he just did? Didn't he just like tear down his barns and build, and, it, and his dad, my pastor goes, Yeah. that is what he did you know and and it was just shocking to see that right because we we forget that that well you did this but today your soul is required of you what are you doing where why are we letting ourselves get carried away you know the isaiah 40 right god god blows on the grass and it withers away and the people are grass but what's steadfast what's consistent is his word and as i've grown into reformed theology and particularly um you know, attending a Presbyterian church and, and being vested into this very word-centric stream of theology, I've been consistently overwhelmed by the unsearchable depth of the scripture and the presence of this thing that David, by inspiration of the Spirit, is writing Psalm 51 after his egregious sin against God, against Uriah, against Bathsheba, and the suffering of his nation that, that resulted and yet today, for me in 2021, as a Christian who sins, I can read this and cry out to God in contrition the same way that King David did and mm-hmm. have the firmness that this God-breathed word will not return void. And that just, I get chills reflecting on the nature of the word of God, because I think it's so easy for us to say, well, I got it on my phone and I have a couple Bibles here and there's Bibles in every hotel room and we take so for granted the richness of, of God's word. And that's something that I've been very convicted of in the last couple of months. Yeah. I've been sitting on for several months during the summer. I was having for the first time in my life, panic. I've never had anxiety before and I was having anxiety constantly with everything going on. I was, I was having panic attacks every time my body did anything remotely unusual. Uh, I was freaking out and that really puts the fear of God in you. You know, when, when, when it feels like death is looming, when it feels like your mortality is right in your face, uh, it's a reminder that man, uh, at his best is, but right. Vapor. We're nothing but vapor. And, uh, this life is so brief, uh, and, and it's the eternal things that matter. And so how, how I was spending my time changed and the things that I was thinking about and meditating on and, and focusing on changed because, um, 
it was a reminder that I'm not going to be here for very long. <laughs> and I want to be in a place before God when I meet him face to face where I'm there because I truly want to be with him and it has nothing to do with a get out of jail free card, right? I don't want to feel like I'm there because I'm scared of hell, uh, which I, I rightfully am, but because I truly love him for him and, and, and I love Christ because of his character and because of who he is and what he did and what he's done for, for me. And um, it was just a very humbling uh, period of time. And um, that fear has, has since left. Uh, praise God. I, I thank him for that. Um, but it was, it was definitely uh, a sanctifying <laughs> uh, moment, uh, you know, in my short, in my short life here. Yeah, I had a really similar experience early on. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was it was pretty early on. It was before people were wearing masks. I know that for sure. Um, back when the government was telling us they didn't do anything, before they started telling us that they do do something. Um, <laughs> and I remember real distinctly exactly where I was. I was at the grocery store, and I was standing in front of the baked like the baking supplies. I think I was looking for coconut or something. My wife was going to make cookies. And I was listening to the White Horse Inn, and they were giving uh, an update from a pastor in, I think, Shane Rosenthal, maybe. So, somebody was now a pastor in Italy, hmm. and they were talking about how this was affecting men even more. And I remember I remember stopping, and I, I, I had a panic attack in the middle of the grocery store. And I, I remember, you know, I, I, I managed to, like, calm myself down. It was, like, Thursday night. It was, like, 830 at night. There was nobody there. I was like, okay, there's nobody here that's going to give me coronavirus. I'm I'm fine. But like there was this, this moment of almost like existential dread. Mm-hmm. And when I got back to my car, I could finally like settle down and breathe. And there was this moment of just guilt and, mm-hmm. and like good guilt. It was, it was this moment where I realized like, you know, all of that stuff you tell people about how tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Like you're mm-hmm. not, you're not living that right now. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was a big, it was a big kind of like paradigm shift because although I, I do think, I remember in, in uh, when I was in like high school that I was in uh, a youth group and there was this girl who was convinced she was going to go to China and be a missionary. And I remember talking to her saying like, that's really dangerous. Are you sure you want to do that? And she's like, well, you know, like if God wants me to die, I'm going to die. And if, if God wants me to live, I'm going to live. And I remember just thinking like, that's just a stupid perspective. Like y- you don't just do stupid, <laughs> foolish things and do dangerous things and expect God to bail you out. But at the same time, there was this moment where I realized, like, if God wants me to die, then I am going to die. And everyone's going to die. We're, we're all going to die. Right. I, I'm not uh, one of I'm not a dispensationalist. Right. So so I don't think there's I don't think there's going to be a generation necessarily that that doesn't mm. experience death. Right. Mm. There's not this escaping death for the rapture generation thing that I used to, you know, used to think was a thing. But but I remember that moment when I got back to my car and I was like, you know, tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Mm. And so so for me, one of the things that I've learned, one of the things God's teaching me through this pandemic is I do need to make use of the days. I need to number my days. Mm-hmm. Right. I need to I need to make use of all the time. And, and so for me, some of that has been more of a focus on reading the scripture this last year, I haven't, I'm not doing a Bible plan per se, but I'm just taking 20 or 30 minutes every morning and reading the scriptures. Um, mm. Some of it has been this, you know, you mentioned the extra time you get with your kid. That's, that's great. Like I've had more time with my wife. I don't have kids and, and I know it's not the same. Like I've had more time to spend with my dog, which seems silly, but like, that's one of the things I've always wanted a dog. And then I get this dog and it's like, oh man, it's so much work, but being home more, now I get to recognize mm-hmm. like when I'm working, my wife, my wife is out and I'm working. My dog comes and lays down on the floor in my office when I'm working during the day next to me. And I'm like, oh man, this is a, this is a time I'm not going to get back. This mm-hmm. is a period of my life where I have all this extra downtime that I'm probably never going to have again. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of lament the busyness of our generation and all of a sudden <laughs> we're forced into this time period where, where busyness is much less of a thing, or at least it's a thing in a different way. And we are probably never going to have it again. So for me, it's been just a good time for God to teach me that I need to just, I really need to take advantage of the time I have, the the yeah. the task in front of me, the time in front of me. And, and, and because part of it is, 
I don't think it's healthy for us to like walk around thinking like, well, I might die tomorrow. So I must, you know, I really, I really should make the most of today, but it's also not healthy for us to lose sight of what's right in front of our faces for, you know, what's out in front of us. And so I think for me, this has helped me balance that a little bit instead of always thinking about like, all right, what am I doing five years from now? Right. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm, there's a real chance I'm going to get coronavirus and die. So I might not have five years from now. So what am I going to do right now? And what am I going to do tomorrow? And maybe mm-hmm. what am I going to do in 30 days? Like what's, what's that time horizon for me? Mm-hmm. And I think that ties back to that parable of the, the fool who, you know, he tears down all his barns to build bigger barns. And then God says, well, you're going to die tonight, you idiot. Like, <laughs> What are we doing? What are the things in our life where we're tearing down our barns? I, I don't mm. want to get all Stephen Furtick and make this like a an <laughs> isogenical sermon here, but like in the parable, like what are we doing where we're yeah. tearing down our barns and mm. we aren't aren't realizing like the the project we're planning with that for five years from now we may not have. So so what mm. are we doing? A lot of that I think for me has been evangelism. I've been much more bold in my in my work. Mm to mention the gospel and to talk about mm-hmm. the gospel with my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I don't do a lot of like direct, like proclaiming the gospel in that, in that sense. Um, at work <laughs> behold coworkers, right? Exactly. <laughs> like hear ye, hear ye. Like that's just not my style. I don't think that's sure. what God's called me to, but yeah. there are definitely times where, where I've seen opportunities to put mm-hmm. the gospel mm-hmm. out there or to, to mention my faith or to talk about Jesus that a year ago I might have said like, well, this isn't really the right opportunity, and now yeah. it's kind of like maybe there isn't ever going to be another opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, that that that's go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I felt that like I had I was over uh, at a friend a good friend's house for dinner, and he and I got talking about things, and we got deep in in the rabbit like deep in the weeds. Um, he's very into philosophy and. Uh, we started talking about Jonathan Edwards' concept of the freedom of the will as this like entry point of like how do we and he was all about it. He's like, give me all of this because he loves the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, and he's like, like this is amazing. So we're talking about it, and he starts asking me really pointed questions like, if I don't believe in Jesus, am I going to hell? And I'm like, well, yes. Like I don't. There's not a there's not a gentle way to answer that question. And I said that doesn't make me love you any less, and I love you more and I'm here for you and I'm not going to try and you know push anything at you but just know like I would rather be able to have time like this forever with you mm-hmm. because of that and so it was a really amazing opportunity and again like you said Tony I'm not that you know wild at work but I've, I've been blessed that the place I work of the ha- the handful of people that have come back to the office we've had some of these really rich and like deep and weighty conversations and mm-hmm and it's amazing to me to see in in practice what you've been quoting from from uh Matthew 6:34 and i just wanted to read that um stretch but justin if you you wanted to say something before it yeah i just wanted to say what's interesting is uh i so my work environment i also work in a hospital uh in in my department um is a very small tight knit group of guys um bosses included and uh, really the conversation is anything goes at any time. I mean, it can get, it can get really uncomfortable at times, you know? Uh, but, um, I've had some really over this past year, especially, um, with, with mortality being talked about and death. Um, there's been a lot more theological conversation. Um, you know, there, there's several people in my, in my, uh, in my department that, that are, uh, that call themselves Christians. They attend churches. Um, I don't want to be too specific, you know, but, uh, but the topic comes up and we talk about it. And it was interesting because one of my coworkers uh, just the other day, after having a quick discussion was like, you, you're really serious about this, aren't you? Like, you're not like, you're like, you actually, you actually have some idea of what you're talking about. And like, believe what you're saying. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, of course that's, that's why I'm a Christian. That's, I, you know, I'm not, what, what, what point is there to be a Christian if I don't believe what I, what I say I believe? And, um, it's been really neat to have the opportunity to talk about those things and, Mm -hmm. and have those uh, conversations that are sometimes hard and they haven't been hard. They've been very easy and usually very casual and laid back and, uh, Mm -hmm. almost fun, uh, in many ways. 
uh, to be able to talk to my coworkers and say, you're going to go to hell if you die <laughs> and have it not oh. be an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when they're the ones writing your paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So it's been cool. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm grateful for, like Tony said, the, the fact that we have this opportunity that, that we may not have again. Yeah. Yeah, man. I just wanted to read from Matthew because you've, yeah. you've been mentioning that all night and it's just like, oh man, the word, the word rightly divided and rightly or rightly, you know, discerned and applied is such a balm to the soul. This, this Sunday, uh, sermon was from Psalm 27 and the encouragement and also the challenge and the conviction, uh, that the, of David, David's heart is to be in the house of the Lord and to be where the Lord has promised to meet with his people uh, and to to be in the temple and in the place of God and to see God's blessings, not just as, uh, you know, 23rd Psalm forevermore, but in this life, in my lifetime, to see the goodness of God and the conviction of, do I long for the knowledge of God and to meet God in that way, in the way that, that we ought to? And so that said, uh, this is Matthew chapter 6, very famous section of verses here from verses 25 to 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm. Amen. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. Podcast over. That's it. I got nothing (laughs) else. Drop. Got nothing else. I mean, this is one of those things. I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but, but there's been a number of times in my life, but I think particular it's been particularly acute over the last year where all of a sudden a, a scripture that you've read a thousand times, or maybe not even <laughs> just the scriptures, something that you've read or heard or been taught a thousand times, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it just like pops. Yeah. And, and you know, it reminds me of yeah. even just listening to this, this, to you read this now, which by the way, like you just need to make an audio Bible. I, I've um, been saying that <laughs> seriously, like I, new podcast idea I just had. Uh-huh. Um, but but like, do you guys do you guys remember the the original Wizard of Oz movie with Judy Garland? Mm-hmm. Right. the The whole movie starts off in black and white, and there's all this symbolism of like she's got this boring life in Kansas, but then she gets hit by the tornado and she wakes up in Oz, and all of a sudden it's in color. Mm. Right. And that's the feeling that I've had over the last year with a number of these kinds of things. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like this verse is one of those, like Christ says, like, do not be anxious about your body. Like mm. how, how in a world where literally microscopic viruses are trying to kill us. I mean, that's mm. like the world all the time hey, right. But yeah. like right now, like more than ever, how do we not be anxious about our bodies? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or Jesse and I on, on the reform brother have been so like, keyed into this phrase in, in the, the first question of the Heidelberg catechism that all things must be subservient to my salvation, mm. which is, is obviously just like a gloss of Romans eight of, of all things work together for the good of those who love, love, you know, the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But it almost is like a more forceful this way to say it. Like yeah. not only are all, do all things work together for good, 
they they're subservient to my salvation and mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden the the world those those verses these these kernels of theological truth all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're in color it's like i woke up in oz mm-hmm. like judy garland right or um or maybe a more a more apropos uh you know example is that scene in in the first few episodes of WandaVision. Are you guys watching WandaVision? I haven't yet. No, oh, I man. haven't yet. There's this scene. I won't. No, no spoilers here, because it's like the first episode, and you still don't have any clue. We still nobody know has any clue what's going on in the show. But <laughs> there's this this scene in this episode where like she hears this noise outside. She goes outside. She finds this little toy helicopter, and she doesn't really seem to notice that anything's all that different. But the hel- everything else is in black and white. And the helicopter's in color. And it's like, you know, this is important or uh, mm. the, the scene in Schindler's list where yeah. mm-hmm. everything's in black and white. And then there's that little girl in the red coat and you're mm-hmm. like, something significant is going to happen with this little girl in the red yeah. coat. Yeah. yeah. And this is what this last year, I think I'm getting like all like poignant and poetic. This is it's cause I, it's cause I poured too much scotch in my <laughs> little distilling theology glass here. This <laughs> last year has been like that moment for me where mm. all of a sudden certain things come into sharp relief. Right, the mm. frailty of life, the necessity of evangelism, the the urgency of the gospel that I think a lot of us in the West particularly have gotten really lazy about. Mm. Um the fact that the fact that God's providence is not always pleasant, but it's always wise, it's always good for us. These things that I think we as a generation of Christians are learning in a real particular acute way where it's really in our face. And we yeah. either have we oh, yeah. either have the opportunity to grab hold of it and to learn and be sanctified by it, or unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians, uh, some of it, I, I don't want to get like political, but like some of it is is we get focused on other things that are going on in our world. Like we get focused on either either the election is rigged or it's not rigged. We get focused on these other things, and we've lost sight of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is right in front of us, and it's more important now than it ever has been. Because uh, it's right here and people are dying every day. And that's always been true and it will be true until Christ comes again. But Mm. in our world right now, it's so true in such an acute way that it's almost like we have to close our eyes to it if we want to miss it. And a lot of people, I think, are closing their eyes to it because they don't want to deal with the difficult reality of what it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. All right, man. Sorry that I killed your podcast, there, guys. No, that My was bad. just this was all just amazing. This is great, and uh, thanks for joining us, Tony. Uh, thanks for hanging out tonight, guys. Next week, Justin, what are we going to be? What are we going to be doing next week? Oh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be uh, the next topic of our systematic theology series. Uh, we're going to be talking about angelology. Whoa, that's right, angels, people. Mm-hmm. How many? I'm expecting a lot of live of readings <laughs> of "Piercing the Darkness" by Frank Peretti <laughs> from from Blake, and that's those sultry tones. Oh no, it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, we're also going to be uh, tasting aviation gin, Ooh. which should be exciting. Ryan Gosling? No, not no, wrong Ryan. Ryan Reynolds gin. I was going to say yeah. Gosling, but it's not Gosling. It's the other <laughs> Canadian Ryan. Yes. Yeah, no, that'll be fun, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. It's a topic I haven't uh, myself studied all that much, uh, so I'm excited to dive in uh, and really um, see what's going on. That's it, man. And you guys can see what's going on with us at facebook.com slash distillingtheology, where we'll post podcast, podcast updates. What's a podcast? Who knows? <laughs> Head over to our Facebook page to find out. You can also join our Facebook group. Just search Distilling Theology. Answer the membership questions and join in with uh, the sweet waters of fellow sage stage Calvinists and lovers of distilled spirits, et cetera, et cetera. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, I wouldn't follow us on Twitter because we haven't posted since we started. And uh, you can go follow <laughs> they'll, Reformed they'll ban Brotherhood. They'll us anyway. <laughs> yeah, you can go follow Reformed Brotherhood on, on Twitter instead. That'll be more, uh, more exciting. Be sure to uh, check us out on our patreon if you guys are interested we're really grateful to everyone who helps make the show possible you can join us at 4.99 per month get early release episodes extended conversations uh discounts in the distilling theology store that we've seen a few of you taken advantage of so thank you guys for that 
glassware is in route. We're still just finalizing those logistics. Um, everything's been a little crazy with COVID, so here we are. Uh, and again, yeah. at that $14.99 a month level, you get an exclusive DT mug after three months, plus some extra content. Justin and I are scheduling and planning to connect and get together and have some exciting times. Uh, yeah, also, speaking of that store, check out shopdistillingtheology.com, oh. where you can get a host of mugs. Uh, there are bobbing mugs there, and a Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology mug. We also have Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology merch. Oh, like these man. these sweet, sweet sweatshirts that you could see if you were on Patreon. Oh. Uh, check these out. Um, they are awesome. They are comfortable. They are cozy. And they are reformed, in fact. Oh, uh, so go ahead, check those out. Shop distillingtheology.com. Uh, if you just go to distillingtheology.com, there's a shop button. You can click it. It'll take you there. We'll be happy to have you. It's awesome. And again, be sure to head over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Uh, you can hear our friends Assurance Apart in the Bobcast, Christ in Context, Fast God Stuff, the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Tony and Jesse over at Reformed Brotherhood, the Reformed Pilgrims, Seeker Start, Sippin' on Theology, and the Steady Anchor Podcasts. Again, the website for that is reformedpodcasts.com. Get that um, S. If you don't, it's going to take you to it's another weird, weird website. It's weird. <laughs> don't go there. It's a weird, weird website. <laughs> yep. yep. We don't recommend time. it. Do not uh, want. Do not want. <laughs> also, big shout out uh, those guys over at Assurance of Pardon, Scott and Gage. They just got sponsored by Logos Bible Software. Like, what? That's crazy. And awesome. I love Relevant to our conversation today, uh, they're doing a series now on ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church, which I would highly, highly recommend. So be sure yeah. to head that out. Also, everyone, be sure to go follow Reform Brotherhood. Listen to their show. I love it. I love hearing the weekly conversation. They've been very, very faithful in posting uh, their episodes. So thank you guys for all that. Thanks, Tony, for hanging out with us tonight and uh, sipping some spirits with us. It was a good conversation. Indeed. So, gentlemen, whatever you do. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> <laughs>